Jesus only is my hope. As I said a long time ago, I don't have a plan B, but I am sure glad for that plan A, that he is worthy of placing our only hope in. Well, open your Bible, if you have one, to Psalm 42. Psalm 42, and if you don't have a Bible, there's one provided for you there in the back of the pew in front of you. You'll find this either on page 401 or 419 of the Pew Bible. I've titled this morning's message, A Battling Spiritual Depression. Battling Spiritual Depression. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear Julie say there are at least two of us in the room, Julie Thompson and I, who know something about dry places. Is there anybody else who's visited there? If not, I could be your tour guide. But let me not get ahead of myself. There may be a better term for this than spiritual depression. It's a, a, a fairly common way of referring to this, but regardless of what you call it, I'm referring to uh, a, a, a deep, prolonged sadness and despondency like other kinds of depression, and yet one that's associated with a spiritual crisis. Perhaps feeling that God isn't there for you, Or maybe even that you're not sure if God's even there anywhere anymore. Struggling even to believe at all. And it's a real experience for real believers, including those who have a a very strong faith. And in Psalm 42, the psalmist takes us there to that pit of despair and shows us a struggle with spiritual depression. And so let's look at that together now. I'm gonna ask if you're able to stand as we read the scripture together, just to be especially attentive to what he has to say to us in it. Psalm 42, beginning in verse one, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me, By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? 
hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, this is your word and it is a good word. It is life and it is truth to us and we need both of those always. Today is no exception. And Lord, you know the people in this room or the people tuned in online right now, the people who even will listen to this later by your providence who are right now experiencing something close to what the psalmist is crying out about, who identify with the cry of this kind of heart. And Lord, for those who aren't there now, we'll visit again. And when we do, we'll need a word from you. And so Lord, today, would you minister this truth according to the needs you know we have, the needs you know that are coming our way. Lord, would you speak your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago when we began this series in the Psalms, about a third of the Psalms are laments. Um, that is expressions of, of deep grief. And Psalm 42 is one of them. Uh, we'll have a few others. Um, I've picked some that I personally have found to be just gemstones. I mean, that, that, uh, that cry out from a deep place of grief. And that if you haven't really ever read or meditate on, you'll know where to go. When you don't, when you don't have words to say and the psalmist says it for you, this is one of them, I think, belongs on the short list for believers. It was written by the sons of Korah, um, as was Psalm 46, which we read last week, and along with nine other psalms. The sons of Korah were a family um, who became servants in the house of worship. And during David's reign, they served specifically as musicians, both vocalists and instrumentalists. And like most of the Psalms, we don't know precisely what the historical setting is. We don't know exactly what the background was uh, to this particular Psalm. But it uh, is certainly a desperate cry for God. He's in some place of just desperation for God. And it would seem um, he can't find him. It may have even been geographically distanced from Jerusalem. Because he says he remembers going up to the house of God. He longs to do so now, but is unable to. Uh, verse four implies he was a singer in the temple who in the past had led others in worship. And knows something of worship and worship leadership even. And he can't get there. He may have been among those from Judah um, who were captured and taken hostage in Samaria. There's a reference in 2 Kings uh, chapter 14, verse 16, 
that in conflicts between Israel and Judah, there was a time where Judah was um, overtaken by Israel and, and they took hostages and kept hostages in Samaria for some period of time. He could have been a temple singer, some Old Testament scholars suggest, taken hostage um, in that situation, or he could have been carried away in the Babylonian captivity. But there seems to be a distance even geographically, uh, not only a distance from God spiritually, but even geographically distance from Jerusalem here. And he's obviously oppressed and taunted by enemies He's somewhere besides home. Can't do anything about it. So it's, it's likely then there's, there's external circumstances um, that have contributed to his despondency, that is, have thrust him into a low point. But what we know, both from what the text says here and what we know from our own experience, the real battle is internal, isn't it? regardless of what the circumstances were and are, the real battle is internal. And the whole psalm is so precious, even though it is immensely sad because God has put it in the Bible for you and me. I just love this. I, I, I've told a couple of people this week, this is, this is a great psalm. I can't promise you it's a great sermon. In fact, the probability is low, but it's a great psalm. It is a great psalm and, and, and largely because of just the raw cry of the heart. It's in the Bible. This is like all you can eat. You know, you can pray this kind of stuff all you want and God put it there for us. It's precious, even though it's immensely sad. And part of the reason I find it so precious is he's validated this kind of experience for the believer. To be at this, this low point, I mean, that dry doesn't even really fully describe it. It's just place of being downcast. He's, he's validated that experience. Not to say, not, not that it's good for us. Not that it's desirable. Not that we should stay there. But just that uh, being there doesn't mean that you're weird or that you're weak. That somehow you're less spiritual. That you're just normal. You're just, you're just a living, breathing Christian walking with God and it's your turn. It's, it's just your turn to go through a season of darkness and despair of whatever kind. If you're there today, that's part of the encouragement for you is just to know that, 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 that this is just normal, valid kind of experience for believers. You didn't slip and deserve it somehow. God validates the experience, but he also gives us language to express all of the conflicted feelings you feel at that time. And it's that conflicted nature of these uh, feelings that makes this psalm such a treasure because he's at risk of drowning in despair. Just, just drowning in despair. And three times he, he sticks his head up, just like gasping for air. 
just gasping for hope. And, he, and he's battling for his spiritual life here. And the, the, the song, and it is a song, as it says, a mascal of the sons of Korah. It's a song meant to be sung by the congregation. This cry of desperation. And it goes through three cycles of lament and hope. And this is what I mean by the conflicted nature of it. There's lament and there's this expression of hope. I, again, I visualize that just like somebody drowning and just comes up for enough air before the next wave crashes over their head. Lament, hope, lament, hope, lament, hope. That's Psalm 42 for you. And just really quickly, the, uh, the, the first cycle of that, we see lament in those first four verses as the deer pants for flowing streams, my soul pants for God. He says in verse three, my tears have been my food day and night. Have you ever been that downcast that you can't even eat? That there's nothing, nothing you can imagine that's appetizing. The only thing you ingest is the tears running down your face. That's where he is. Thirsting for God, but only drinking his own tears at night. And then he says in verse five, hope in God, I shall again praise him. As if he's, he's really trying to talk himself into it almost. He's reminding himself of that. Verses six and seven, another lament my soul is cast down within me deep, verse seven, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Again, people living on the coast probably know um, better than some others of what it's like to, to be tossed about by waves. You may, may remember uh, playing in the surf as a child and being knocked down by the waves. Not sure if you're ever gonna make it up. Not even sure where up was, but knowing you needed air soon. There he is. In verse seven, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. But verse eight, here's a gasp for hope again. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. At night, his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. And then the, the third cycle of that lament and hope, verses nine and 10, lament. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. Picture that on a battlefield, a wounded soldier. Dying a slow death, perhaps. But nothing he can do to defend himself, nothing he can do to, to pop back up. And as if the dying weren't bad enough and the pain weren't bad enough, his enemies taunt him. Not unlike what happened to Jesus on the cross, as if that 
Has it struck you? And then one more gasp for hope in verse 11. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Sometimes a person can be thrust into a spiritual depression because of circumstances, as I said, was possibly the case uh, for this psalmist here. And in those cases, things can go from pretty good to desperately bad relatively quickly. You're just hurled into this place that brings about despondency. But in many other cases, the discovery that you are at a low point comes quickly, comes suddenly. But you didn't actually arrive at that low point suddenly. That as you look back, you realize it was, a, it was a, a long, slow spiral downward to this place and you didn't even know you were going downward until suddenly you're at the, at the bottom of a dark pit asking God, where are you and what am I doing here? If, if I'm not resonating with anybody, then just consider this autobiography. And that same, that same feeling, that same experience has overtaken giants of the faith, the tallest giants of the faith. We think of people in the Bible like Elijah and David, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, and John the Baptist even, who in prison sends his own disciples and said, go ask Jesus, are you the one? Was this all worth it? In more recent history, there were people like the great English preacher, Charles Spurgeon. One of the most prolific uh, sermon writers, I suppose, um, and, and, and perhaps arguably the greatest preacher of the 19th century, um, at least in the English speaking world. battled with depression all of his life, all of his ministry. And perhaps no leader in church history was any more plagued by fits of spiritual depression than Martin Luther. The great reformer of the church battled it all the time. I wrote about even his just sort of contest, if you will, with the devil. He would, just, he would just have conversation with the devil because he, he sensed his presence so, so often taunting him and harassing him. The devil would accuse him. He would say of his sins and he'd say, hey, here are a few others. <laughs> you forgot, let me add these to the list. Christ has already died for that. A constant battle for him. Which is to say that that dark pit that you are lying in has been visited by great men and women of faith. And it's been visited by ordinary men and women of faith more than we can count. And if you could, 
If you could look around at the walls of that pit, so to speak, you would see the initials of people carved in the walls. And very few of them would have left you anything else that would be assistance to you in, in knowing how to get out of there. There would be, be great encouragement simply to know that you weren't the first, that you weren't the last, and you weren't the least to visit that place. And it tells us that the the person at the the very depths of spiritual depression, that you're not alone in this experience, that it's not a sign of spiritual weakness and that it is not permanent. You're not alone, you are not weak, and it is not permanent. And say, isn't, isn't the, the dreadful thing, the sinister thing about this kind of spiritual depression is that sort of encouragement, even, isn't, even that isn't all that encouraging at that time, right? Isn't that, that's the, that's the terrible part of it. Is that somehow even that seems to miss the mark. And it's why I titled this Battling Spiritual Depression because it is a battle. And it's exactly what we see in the psalmist. He's fighting by an act of will at times, gasping for some hope. And so what do we learn from the psalmist here about what we can do in seasons of spiritual depression? Well, I see three uh, sort of overarching responses on his part, three ways that he responds and that we can too. And the first is to ask real questions, to ask real questions. Ask them of God and ask them of yourself. Notice in verse nine, what we, uh, what we glanced at before, that he asked God, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. God, these are your enemies too, not just mine. Why am I still oppressed by them? Why am I being taunted by them? Why have you forgotten me, God? And he asks questions of himself too, right? It's, it's almost the chorus of this song in verses five and 11. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Why are you feeling this way? Come on, Jim. That's a made up name for this purposes, by the way. (laughs) Come on, Jim, why are you feeling this way? You're You're a small group leader. You got people coming to your house tonight for Bible study. You're sitting here wondering if God is even real. What's wrong with you, Jim? Get yourself up. He's he's asking himself that kind of question. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? You're a song leader. (laughs) You're a song leader. You used to lead people in worship 
to God. Why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil? It's a real question though, is the point. He asks why. And as far as we know, he doesn't get an answer. But it is a question worth asking. You know, we, I, I've heard often people say, don't ask God why, but ask him what? You know, what do you, intent, what do you want to do um, in this circumstance? And that's, that's not bad advice. And that's actually, in, in some respect, a helpful way of looking at it. But the psalmist asks why, and I'm glad he did, because it comes very naturally in moments like this, doesn't it? To yourself, why, why, are, you, why are you in this place again? Why, why do you feel this way? Come on, snap to it. Get yourself together, Miller. God, why have you forgotten me? But ask it as a real question, see, not a rhetorical one. Because that really is the issue, right? A lot of times when we ask why, we don't really want to know the answer. We're making a point. God, why have you forgotten me? There's no good answer to that. You shouldn't have forgotten me. You should get me out of here, God. As if God's the one who needs to snap to it, not me. But ask it as a real question. What is he what is he doing? Is there, is there something of my own doing that has contributed to the station I'm in now? Is there something specific that I can see that he wants to do in me? And if not, and likely there won't be. Likely, at least this is my experience. I can't think of a time I've ever gotten an answer to that question until I had the benefit of hindsight. But see, just asking it changes your frame of reference and even causes you to begin looking to see what, what is God doing? What is God going to do in this and through this? You know, when a baby is learning to walk, the parent stands at a distance and bids the child to come. And at first, stands at not much of a distance at all, right? Just far enough for the baby to try to walk, just when the baby can barely stand, but stands at a distance to make the baby struggle to walk. And that, then after he's learned how to take those first couple of steps, the parent stands at a greater distance and bids the child to come. Because it's in the struggle that growth happens. And so the point is, simply by asking, why, oh God, why, oh my soul, that we begin at least to genuinely wonder, why is God standing far off? What is he going to grow in me? 
through this experience. Can we acknowledge the reality though that in at the bottom of that pit, I don't really care about that. I just want out. But the father, because of his love for his child, will not always immediately go pick the child up because it's hard. Because they never learn to walk. But neither will he just leave the child crying and hurt and frustrated and forsaken. So it is with our Heavenly Father, he stays at such a distance as to even seem absent and bids us come to him. Drawing from the strength that we have built from times past, drawing from the knowledge we've obtained in times past, he works in us. And so ask real questions. It's one of the things I love most about the Psalms, one of the reasons Psalm 42 is a treasure among them. Number two, recall past times of spiritual vibrancy. Recall past high points, in other words, spiritually. Verse four, as I've alluded to a couple of times now, he, he recalls these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go up with the throng and lead them in the procession of the house of God with glad shouts of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. I remember those times when things were good spiritually. And there was a song of praise in my mouth. And almost certainly the person who has the, the kind of walk with the Lord, the kind of spiritual walk that even includes this place of despondency, that person almost suddenly has at some point in the, or almost certainly has at some point in the past undeniably experienced the undeniable presence and goodness of God. In other words, they too have something to remember. I remember when God blank for me to me, with me. I remember when it was different. And the interesting thing here too is that the taunts of the enemy uh, may actually help you recall those things more accurately. I find this uh, intriguing at least to ponder that when you're, when you're really down in the mouth deeply discouraged and even a part of you is wanting to have a pity party and expressing that uh, doubt in God and God, why are you forgotten me? Where are you? Oh, are you even there? When the, when the enemy comes along and says, yeah, where is your God? There's something in you that knows he is there. I don't know where, so shut up. You know, you want to say to your enemy, I don't know where he is. I'm asking the same question, but I know he's there. There's something somehow about the taunt of the enemy that makes you more sure that it's, it's sort of like if you grew up with siblings, you know, you might fight like cats and dogs with your brother. But if somebody else picks on your brother, 
well, me and my brother are going to go have a talk with this other fella. So somehow the enemy, the enemy trying to turn you against God uh, in, in, in some wonderful way actually helps to turn your heart back to God. I don't know where he is. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know how long. But I know he's there. And so we have then thirdly, not only do we ask real questions and recall past times of spiritual vibrancy, but just resolve to find hope in God. Verse five and 11 say it, right? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. And once again, I, I don't know how this resonates with you, but this is, this is not one of those things where three easy steps to lifting yourself out of spiritual depression. It just isn't that. You don't click your heels together three times and say there's no place like happy and you just get happy again. It's a battle. And part of the, and part of the resolving, resolving to find hope in God is to, is to say it even though you're not sure how much you mean it. You see what I'm saying? This is almost what I hear the psalmist saying. It's like he's, he's, he's talking himself to that place. Hope in God, my soul. I shall again praise him. I am not praising him right now. Man, you might not be. You might be in that place. You're here. Again, as an act of your will. Maybe as a physical act of hoping in God, you just come hoping today will be the day God will do something different that he'll lift you up to a higher place somehow. You feel like when you, when you praise that your words fall flat to the ground. It's like they roll out of your mouth like a bowling ball and just thud to the ground. Don't even approach heaven. But resolve, I shall again praise him. It's not permanent. And part of that hoping in God, that, that even that mental activity is getting um, our, our focus off of ourselves and off of our circumstances and off of our feelings. Um, not to say, I mean, shame on you for having your focus on yourself and your feelings. And that, that's really not the point at all. But it's to say, when we, when we turn our thoughts and hearts toward God, hope in God, it, it involves a turning them away from our circumstances and our feelings and our despair. Does that make sense? Uh, Charles Spurgeon even um, specifically mentioned and related to this, getting outdoors. Like this was part of his remedy for his own fits of depression was getting outside. And, and there are probably psychologists and psychiatrists that could explain that in some way. I, I can't, um, but uh, there's something to it, I think. 
that there's something about stepping out and being reminded that the world is a big place, right? And that even, and that, and that your problems aren't as big as they look and feel inside of your own bedroom, especially at night. When it's dark everywhere and you're alone with your own thoughts and you don't need an enemy taunting you saying, where's your God? Because your own voice does that for you. But rather than living there, simply stepping out of there and into the, the, the open air and being reminded that the world is bigger and God is far bigger, immeasurably bigger than even the world that he created. Hope in God and you have to settle in your mind that this season will pass. You know, for some people, it, it's going through a period of spiritual depression is like somebody who has a fear of flying and yet has to fly. And maybe some of you have done that too. Maybe you have to fly regularly and you hate it every time. But you get on the plane and you, and, and you don't enjoy anything about the flight. But you, you know the plane's gonna land because it has every other time. And you just ride it out. You just ride it out. I mean, there are some people for whom that is the experience going through spiritual depression. It is just resolving hope in God. I will again praise him. I don't know when or how. I can't even imagine feeling like it right now. There's nothing about that that's appetizing to me right now. But I know that I will, that this season will pass. As I conclude, I'll share this quote from Luther, who, as I said, Martin Luther, who, um, who battled this as much as anybody I know of in church history. I'm talking about these seasons of depression. He says, in such a case, we must say, let go everything in which I have trusted. Lord, you alone give me help and comfort. You have said that you would help me, I believe your word. Oh, my God and Lord, I have heard from you a joyful and comforting word. I hold to it. I know you will not lie to me. No matter how you may appear, you will keep what you have promised, that and nothing else. Just a resolve, Lord, I'm going to believe your word. I remember what it was like singing praises in the throngs of people. I remember when you have been good to me. And even when I'm so far from there, it doesn't even seem real anymore. I, I'm wondering if I made it up in my own mind. I just believe his promise and I hold to it, resolve that I will find hope in God. Well, let's pray together. Father, it is hard to even find words 
for people who are despondent. And it's even harder when we are the ones who are feeling that. It's, harder to, it's hard to find words even to pray. Sometimes hard to even find the desire to do so. We are so beyond hope that we're not even sure it's worth expressing any hope. Lord, I wanna pray specifically for those sitting here today who are in that place now. As I said, it's a word for all of us because to one degree or another, uh, we all visit this place. But Lord, as we considered last week, you are a very present help in trouble. And so I pray that presently for those right now struggling with spiritual depression, Lord, that you would minister by your spirit great grace to them, encouragement, healing. Father, would you speak even a whisper to them? And even if it is only the voice of a father saying, come to daddy. While you're yet far off, farther than they can see, farther than they can believe they can walk. Even that, Lord, would you bring encouragement deliverance, hope in whatever way it is to come. And Lord, would you tune all of our hearts, dial us into that frequency, Lord. Even those who right now are in a place of spiritual health and highs and vibrancy, Lord, but who can also remember darker times. Lord, would you tune us to that frequency that identifies with those who are struggling, that we might be encouragers, companions, um, conduits of your grace. Do what you will and what only you can by your spirit, even now and in the hours and days and weeks to come. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. As we conclude our service today, I'll invite um, some of our ministry staff, if any are available, and some of our elders to come forward and be available for prayer. Um, elders and elders' wives, if there are any, any elders' wives available, but if there's uh, anyone here who just... Uh, knows you could benefit from um, the personal intercessory prayer of someone else because you are in that season right now of despair or you um, are, are still climbing the long climb out of it. If there's that or any other way that we can
pray for you or with you. I just want to invite you as the service concludes to come for prayer. And now if you'll stand to receive today's benediction and remain standing for the singing of the doxology. And now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all and always. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.